Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of e-commerce insights. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. Today, I'd love to welcome James Shramko. He's the man behind the successful and very helpful podcast called Superfast Business. I know I've been listening to it since the early, early days, and I think there's 700 or so episodes now. And I remember hearing about it and listening to it back when it was in the like 20 or the 30th episode, I think, a long time ago. In addition to the podcast, he's a very successful online success coach, the author of Work Less, Make More, which we're all aspiring to do. So we'll dig into that some and just a general all around smart guy. So welcome to the podcast, James. Thank you, Scott. And it's lovely to to hear someone who's listened to such a back catalogue of super fast business. There's a, there's a handful out there who tell me they've listened to every episode, which I think is amazing. Yeah, that is, that is. And I noticed that with your podcast, like I've engaged a couple, you know, I know that they work because I had engaged a couple of the people on the podcast, in particular, Charlie Valor, uh, who produces this podcast was from following along with your podcast. So, I mean, I know they work. They've generated business for people, some of your guests, so I can speak to that. Well, I know they work because I'm using Wicked Reports. <laughs> of course, of course. When I was doing like uh, research, you know, I've, I've known about, I've known you for a while now, but I, I really liked how you laid out your about page. It was a really cool, you know, evolution of that. Uh, how many iterations did that take to get that just so? It was really, I really loved it. Um, that, that was really one iteration. Actually, I have to credit Greg Merrilies from Studio1Design.com for that. It, it came as part of a website redesign. In the early days, I wasn't paying much attention to design. But, you know, after 10 years, I've noticed there's quite a lot of inflation design. And I, I think you have to have good design now. You can't get away with just putting up good words if you're in the sort of space that I'm in. So Greg put that concept in the mock-up and it fits in perfectly with what I've learned to be really important and that is storytelling. And that, you know, instead of me having to say something over and over again, that page encapsulates the journey that it's been for me so that I can have an easy reference point. And also I think it helps a potential buyer get a lot more context to understand if I'm likely to be the person who can help them, you know, with their own business, because there's a lot of points along that journey that they could probably relate to. I'd, I'd agree. And then, then how your income scale, but also the people you are coaching scale, most importantly, <laughs> to people considering. Well, I think that the important point uh, in marketing, I think for the about page is that the trap is it's very easy to make the about page all about yourself, but it's ideal if you can make the about page fit your customer as well like how, how did how do you become part of the solution for your customer and if you can put that into your about page it's almost like it's a about how i can help you page yeah i'd agree i loved it so i thought it was just worth pointing out you know this is generally e-commerce but a lot of our e-commerce is coaches or people selling how to online it looked like you get into that right away where you learned how to do something and then said, hey, I'll, I just figured this out. I'll, I'll sell like a blueprint on how I did this SEO tactic or group of tactics. And um, so is that just your inherent nature? Hey, I learned something. 
let's let's share it and see how it goes because I, I i thought when i saw that i was like man i had all these little data things i've done to the past i didn't do that that would have been a good idea right away i was like damn it uh well i mean uh, yes it's it's really quite effective to leverage your skills and assets it's probably some things i put together you know when, when i was a kid i used to hang out in my dad's garage in a little playpen with uh, fake tools i had like a little screwdriver and a hammer and I would work along in my playpen while he was working on real cars. So I've always been quite pragmatic and hands-on. So I'm not afraid to roll up the sleeves and do something. And at the same time, I was pretty frustrated when I came online that a lot of the information being sold was from theorists, from, from people who may have purchased a private label rights to information to a product, and then they were selling that as if they knew what they were doing. So it bothered me that that people lacked integrity. And so it was just a, like, and if you combine being a pragmatist with the common sense of utilizing uh, your resources and, and your, your existing assets to deploy them, to, to harness the value from them, plus you combine that with the fact that there's an audience out there of, of people who are just like you were before you were able to solve the problem. That was my easy first step to, to actually succeed online. I made a, f a few challenging uh, mistakes in the beginning, as we all do, but my biggest success by far in the beginning was promoting software as an affiliate and having just been that customer and going through the learning curve and being challenged by trying to solve my problem, it put me in a great position to solve it for other people and I've continued to do that and, and one of the big decisions I made as a coach is do I keep serving that beginner market? Or do I move through with my customers? And I made the choice to move through with my customers. So, you know, as something comes out or something I'm testing or, or learning, I'll be hands into it and trying it and then reporting on it. And I think the reporting style of, of uh, teaching is quite good. So coaches often talk about mindset. And I know I noticed that a lot of your, uh, some of your guests, they're wide ranging now. It's not just, hey, here's a, Here's an online traffic specific technique. I mean, those things are in there, but there's a blend. And uh, that seems like it's somewhat newer. It's more like the last year and a half. So more focus on that area. Maybe maybe it's been a long time focus for you. It's just what I, I maybe it's just what I picked up from being in the audience. Now, how did that come about? Because I had theories about how or why, but what what made you start saying, hey, you know, there's a, a lot more to entrepreneurship than just trying to get someone to buy. I think one of the pivot points of when it became obvious to me is when I did an ask survey for my audience years back. And it helped me pull out the challenges people were having. And I realized that a lot of people have not got the bases covered, especially when it comes to self-effectiveness. And I do believe the business is an articulation of, of how stable and effective the operator is. So that's now become fully a quarter of the program is self-effectiveness. Another part of that is team and scaling. And, and, you know, again, it was kind of blind to me, but I was very strong with team and good with team. A lot of leaders who are growing their businesses are not comfortable with team. And leadership is, I think, quite a personal skill. It it's, requires uh, high EQ it needs patience, it needs understanding, you need to take responsibility. So the other thing is that as I get older, I'm finding that uh, my physical 
needs change as I'm getting more into sport, surfing, for example, as I do work a lot less than I used to and I want to focus more on longevity. Finding that taking steps to help my body is also got a real effect with my ability to work effectively when I do actually work. So I brought in those people who have been helping me to share their message. And what I don't want is a podcast that is just like everyone else's podcast. I didn't want to just interview popular business authors or famous people. I wanted to bring solutions to my audience, even if the guest is not famous, which is often the case on my show. And I bring them back many, many times, as you've probably observed. Yes, I have. And, and I agree. When you see that they're talking about a solution that you haven't heard related to a pain point you have, then you want to know about it. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's as simple <laughs> as that. So the business has scaled a lot from when you, you know, started a podcast and, you know, had some online training. How much of that was the upfront vision and planning process? And like, what, what do you go through? What is your process too on that? It's more vision than than planning these days. But and if you go if you were to go back ten or twenty years, I did a lot of planning. I sit down and and write it all down, and I I do a lot of thinking these days of of what I want. So I actually did this process yesterday. So the timing's good on this. I um, usually sit down with with some um, pads, different coloured pads, and some pens, and I just write down things that are on my mind, and. I think about what my business looks like and I'm really trying to find the leverage in it. Like which bits are working particularly well? Where am I going to find leverage in certain parts of the business? And importantly, which things should I stop doing and focus less on that, uh, you know, that I've tried run and, 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 you know, particular to your application is, you know, what have I been tracking that's not proving out? that I can just safely drop and have no impact whatsoever. So in the early days of my online business, I scaled pretty quickly. As soon as I quit my job, I, I started hitting, you know, the first month out, I hit six figures a month. And I've never not had a six-figure-a-month rolling average. So I scaled quickly, but my business model was more complicated back then. I had up to, I think, 10 or 11 different profit drivers for my business. Uh, some of them were a little less secure than others, and we'll probably get into that. Uh, I'm sure you're going to ask me about that. And over time, I adapted my business model to become simpler. I even built a few service businesses, which I sold in the mi middle. So the biggest revenue I had was just a few years ago uh, when I had all those business units but since selling them i've actually now as of um, just checking my end of year numbers from the you know not the financial year in australia but the calendar year we had a very very strong 2020 i'd say we're, we're you know all-time profit levels and almost back to my all-time revenue high without the you know we used to have 65 people in my business and now we've got about seven so without the big infrastructure uh, and cost base and without the complexity. So each year, I guess my, my role is to, is to simplify things. And I've made a definite decision. Uh, you said something earlier on in this podcast, which I thought was interesting. You said everyone wants to work less and make more. But I would say that's probably not the case. Uh, some people 
just want to work and uh, uh, whether they're escaping a, a spouse they're not happy with or whether they didn't get enough cuddles from their father when they grew up or something I think some people really feel the most comfortable when they're hustling and grinding and but for me that's not the case I'm I'm feeling the most comfortable when I'm enjoying life when I'm having moments that I don't feel I need to Instagram uh, when I can purchase a property and not need to do a video tour of it on uh, Facebook, for me that that's actually living. And the priority has been to get the most leverage possible for my business and to have a safe and secure business and to build financial wealth uh, without becoming a slave to the business and doing things I don't want to do. You know that that's what I want to avoid. I want less compromise. Yeah, that's powerful. Thank you. So, so in that vision of okay, I want things simpler. Do you just start working out scenarios in your mind around your different product lines and? It all fits on a page. I've got the page here somewhere, actually. Uh, I'll get it for reference because it's it's probably quite telling. So, on this one page that I've got, I've got my reminder here at sixty four four, which is the eighty twenty of the of the twenty um, percent of the of the eighty twenty, right? It's just like the few things that actually matter. That's what this page is about. But I I just want to uh, map out my business units because I've got a few different product ranges, but they they pretty much fit together these days. I want integration. So the easy way to describe that is I've diversified within a similar market sector. But I'm quite protected because I'm operating globally and I'm working in multiple markets and I'm working at multiple price points within that market. So I have a good range of products, but I'm not split across the board in completely random business units. Uh, And an increasing part of my business is helping other businesses. I've got a portfolio now of other businesses that I help and I grow their business as a, a partner, kind of like a silent partner. And that's been so strong. You know, I knew a few years back that my business model would move that way. And then I proved the model. And then I started reducing some of the time that I spend in other business units. So one thing that really marks this technique is you have to stop doing things that might be quite effective for you in order to take on something that's even more effective. And I think that's quite a discipline. And and a lot of entrepreneurs are unwilling to let go of things, even if they're just producing a small amount, because they probably feel like it's a failure or a loss. But in my case, I think of it more like Tarzan swinging through the jungle. If I've got a good grip on a nice, fat, strong vine that's going to get me further to the, the destination, then I can let go of the vine that I'm on. Otherwise, I can't progress. And if there's one thing that is critical with an online business, especially a virtual online business, and, and not having the income of a job, it's that you must innovate and you have to adapt. There's a changing marketplace at all times. As we speak, my entire market is enamored with a brand new social media platform so that you know there is change underfoot and it's going to change the dynamic of the way people communicate and the options available to them so you have to be responsive and so for me i'm spending a lot of time thinking about what my business looks like how we're going to operate it i think about my team i think about my customers i think about my personal needs 
think about financial implications. And I've built a lot of intuition around that. But I'd say visioning has been by far my best uh, technique. I, I learned that from Maxwell Maltz in Psycho-Cybernetics. But for, for most people, just having time and space away from the, the noise is when reality sets in. And if you could just close your eyes and just think about what needs to happen and then you go and implement it, then then that might be all, all the technique you need and you don't really need tricky planners and full-blown courses and it, just because everyone else is telling you their process or there's books you can buy and journals and so forth doesn't necessarily mean that's going to work for you. So, so these days, I don't even have a task list. I don't keep a to-do list, for example. Something that I think I got from you is that I start block, blocking out the calendar for the time of yeah. what I need to do. Because otherwise, it's just going to be a list that's causing more anxiety of, well, I already got a full week, but I made this list of things and they're not on there. How important are they really? So I just started blocking them off. And I still make the list to match because I like crossing things off, but I, I, I don't have anything on the list that's not on the calendar. And then it's a lot of peace of mind because then I, I start to commit to something. I look and I'll be like, hey, I, I, don't, ha- I don't have the time for this. Something's got to go. I mean, because you think you're going to prioritize your time, but really when it's, you know, this, the calendar is the calendar, you know, so if you can't find room there, you really can't do it. You're not going to suddenly work extra because that's already when the time you had to put into whatever projects you're going to do. So that, that was a big takeaway for me that I've, I've been using that. And it's one of the hardest things to do. It's one of, it's one of the hardest things to do if someone says, let's, let's chat or uh, whatever. And to, to look there, you can compromise and you can stick it in there and, and you know it's going to cause heat with your relationship or that you, you're already going to be busy by the time that that time rolls around. And then the test for me is when I get to an appointment – do I, you know, I'm paying attention to my reaction. Am I thinking, oh my God, why did I make this appointment? Or why did I agree to this? If you ever find yourself saying that, that is a great indicator that you don't have very strong rules or filters as to what can get done. And it's okay to say no or to to take your time about some things. I think we've been hoodwinked to some extent about the urgency or the requirement to have massive volume you can really do so much with so little. And when I do my planning session, I do write down everything on my mind, like a brain dump. And I think about the actions that would have to happen for me to end up with the vision that I'm thinking about. And then I usually just put it to the side. And the funny thing is, you know, I just pulled out my list from last year and almost everything on it has been achieved, bar a few. And the the few that weren't, I think only one of them was actually important and that was just relating, you know, like a a process that needs to be done at some point and, you know, it actually got delayed because of the inability to travel. But that that will happen again. So it got put back onto this year. But in about a year from now, I'm going to have a look at my notes and see what happened. But they have to go a bit deeper, I think, than just ink to paper. I mean, they've got to be the thought that caused you to write it down and then it has to be important enough to make it through and and I find with having time off every single day where I'm down tools and and analog time uh, that's when I can think even as as something as mundane like every day at the moment I take my daughter to the park and she rides her bike endlessly in loops around the park I'm finding that that's given me good time to process and to think and I come up with a lot of my best ideas like almost all the famous people in the past, you know, in my downtime. So building in more downtime 
if you are a serious hardcore entrepreneur and, and you are having trouble justifying it, then justify it on the basis that it's research and development time. I, I did uh, something along those lines where I was visioning out things that I was committing myself to do. And I was like, I should have a team doing this. I shouldn't be the the blocker. And then what would they need in order to have, in order for me to know that if someone's using Wicked Reports, they're getting the data analysis that I personally would give them. And then that led to an unveiling, a peeling back of the onion of the help docs have to be accurate. And then my, I have to know they're trained correctly. And then w- my frameworks have to hold up under any analysis by anyone. I got to hand it to someone on my team and they go to an account and they, they come out with the same outputs as what I would. So it was really fun. But then I realized I had to overhaul my whole system because a lot of it was in my brain or tribal knowledge with the team. And so then I, was, so I set foot to fix this. And then I was like, wait a minute, my website isn't talking to the right message, isn't attracting the right customers which then need to be priced correctly so we can serve them correctly. And so it led to a, a, a dramatic increase in growth, but not before as some hard work, which was actually still fun to do because I was like, every single piece I'm creating, I never have to do it again <laughs> if I did it right. Like I'm creating a machine that other people are going to use and, and, and fulfill. Oh, so it was improving um, our overall entire system. So I, I realized that I wanted every customer to have the same experience as if I was analyzing their data. And so to do that, I needed an airtight framework that anyone on my team could follow. Well, to do that, they needed to understand some of the philosophies. And I set up Train You All with training. And then whenever they had a question, the help doc should be airtight. So there should never be, oh, that help doc, you don't really want to trust that one. <laughs> or, oh, this help doc says one thing and the other one says another. We had some of that. So, you know, it was this whole overhaul of systems and processes. Now I sleep well at night and, and I have a, my first under, you know, an under 40-hour work week this week, even though we've been going gangbusters, particularly with this new Apple versus Facebook issue. And I don't have to worry about it because I did all that hard work, which started with the visioning of how can I make sure that I can always sleep well at night and that every customer is being treated as if I would want to treat them, which wasn't that the people aren't good that were working for me, but did they have everything they need to do that? And they didn't. So, I mean, that was on me to fix that. It's a great relief to have it. Are you aware, have you seen this Apple Facebook thing that's going on here? The battle here about the right to track? I have, I've heard about it and I've heard warnings about it for years and it hasn't really concerned me that much because I haven't been using a lot of paid traffic in my business model up until very recently, actually, only because I'm ready to scale. But hopefully it's not going to be too much of a drama. In fact, it could definitely play into my favor if it affects other people who have been complacent or rely too heavily upon it. Yeah, yeah we're chaos. There's always opportunity. It's going to be <laughs> pretty chaotic. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure it's chaotic and it's causing uh, some people concern, but it's unlikely to be an issue for me. So therefore, you know, I'll just ride through that. I'll let other people deal with the noise. And I, I keep an eye out for summaries of what the end result is. I'm always looking for the punchline. You know, what's, what does it mean to me? What does it mean for my clients? And how can I help them navigate around it? So because I coach so many people, I will usually find out about... Uh, the impact of something like this fairly early because I've got a lot of people out there uh, fielding data. I've got a lot of collection points. So I get a pretty good intuitive feel for what's happening. And if it starts to be a problem for one or two of them, then I know it's going to be a problem for a a lot of them. And hopefully uh, they're all pretty 
hopefully they're all building a database, an email database, and hopefully that email database is quite well segmented so that they can at least adjust their marketing campaigns. Yeah, you're going to need to have your own first-party data collection, which most people do. It's going to be mission critical now if you're you know, trying to target people. You're going to have to already know who they are. You can't always rely on Facebook and Apple to help sort it out for you. So <laughs> among other things, it going to be a lot of excitement. It's good news for us. Their measurement's going to be completely shot. So it already was, but it kind of just lifts the veil on how inaccurate their data is. They're not even going to attempt to make it accurate. They said they're going to use sampling and delayed reporting and estimations. <laughs> I mean, I, I already got used to how that operates way back in the early days of search engine optimization. You could see all the search queries that people were using to find your website, and then they started obfuscating that. It seems like you've got to come up with a way of doing business that isn't overly reliant on a trick or a, uh, you know too much magic. And um, there are certainly ways that you can get advantages over your competitors. I mean, obviously, Wicked Reports is one great way that you can have way better visibility on what's happening in your business than what you could before. And then you just got to use the tools that you have to the best of your ability. I mean, Facebook as a lead source will still be great, just buying traffic. But counting on the algorithm, like you said, to magically make you money is going to be much tougher. Well, you know, a lot of people are finding it's even hard just to run the ads that they're getting stopped a lot. And, and depending on the market you're in, of course, that they're more sensitive for some things than others. And that means, you know, just, just don't rely on that if that was your only thing. And, I, you know, like back in the old mission control panel of Wicked Reports, you could see the, the top categories of where that money's coming from. But I like to see it spread across them a little bit. Yeah. I agree. Diversification of channels. Then all of a sudden, yeah. if something goes haywire in one, it's... it's well, Jay Abraham talks about that. It's like the, the Parthenon principle. And, you know, you want multiple pillars, channels of, of income and uh, multiple products, multiple different access points to the market. You just don't want to be single point sensitive. So you mentioned intuition a few times. Are there, uh, how did you develop? I mean, intuition sometimes is just, you know, reps in the game and experience, but is there any like meditation or visualization techniques or anything else that helped enhance your intuition? Um, it's definitely probably more likely to be the former. It's just time in probably on, on average answer a thousand forum posts a month for the last 11 years straight. So I have a lot of time with my customers and this is something people miss um, a lot of entrepreneurs are trying to distance themselves from their customer as much as possible with layers of staff and team and firewall themselves, you know, from the front line so they can just be in their bunker. I'm spending a lot of time with my customers. So I understand what they need and I'm understanding what their challenges are on a constant basis. And I think that really informs what has to come next. But then I balance that out with you know not working too much. I'm probably up to around about a 15-hour work week these days, and I found that's that's kind of the perfect workload for me. It certainly through 2020 and having a, a young kid, it was just right in terms of being able to to navigate. I actually found in 2020 I spent a lot more time thinking about uh, life in general and. You know, a more complicated grenade got thrown our way than normal. 
And it was really the year where my customers became the most needy they've ever been. Up until then, I'd say a lot of my coaching was like an insurance policy that's there if they need it and they're accessing it from time to time. But you know, along comes some significant change in the marketplace. And all of a sudden, my customers were just like, help, <laughs> what, what do we do? And I was on. It was like I really had to make sure I preserved and protected my core. And so I did spend a lot of time thinking. And, I, and I'd say my, my surfing time is thinking time. And the answer always appears for me if I just let the pressure off it. And I think about things sort of ongoing. It might take me days or even weeks, sometimes months, to pull the trigger on a, a significant change, but it will have stacked up over time where I'm, I'm just thinking it through. So I may not as fast as other people, but it does, does definitely help to have mental models and processes and filters and frameworks to run these challenges through and process it from every angle. And sometimes... Uh, it's as simple as a, as a Basos type filter, you know, is it a reversible decision or not? You know, is it a one-way door or can you just go back through it if you don't like it? You know, have you ever been in a hotel or something, you go outside and you realize it's way, way colder than you expected and you go back in to get a jacket? Well, those sort of decisions are easier to make. It's the ones where once you close the door and you don't have a key to get back in, you've got to be much more careful. And uh, so I think putting the appropriate weight on certain choices is important. So the, this coaching, how did you, I mean, so what's the best advice you give? Because you're coaching a lot of people and then you also, there's a lot of people, are you coaching coaches also, or is it more e-com businesses exclusively or it seems like you have a full gamut? You know, I don't really coach a lot of e-commerce businesses in terms of the type of businesses that carry physical stock or do Amazon or SKU items, I refer people to another guy for that stuff because I, I've found, you know, I've got a few experts in my community, people who I do coach. Like I coach a guy who's the expert at helping e-commerce stores, for example. So yes, I do coach some coaches. It's uh, My whole business is not about coaching coaches to coach. Uh, I find that a little bit incestuous. The, typically, my customers are service agencies, so they're, they're companies who are providing a service, whether it's running advertising, doing design, podcasting, editing. I coach a couple of software businesses, SaaS businesses. I have a lot of information product type people, people who have memberships especially. That's my sweet spot is recurring subscription memberships, which is quite often a blend of information products, so product creators, experts, authors, speakers, anyone who's trying to monetize a traffic source with information on a subscription basis, then that's definitely something I love. Um, having built and sold service businesses, I think really qualifies me for that. Having run an eight-figure and a nine-figure real retail business, I have a lot of experience in the offline world. So I brought some of that to the table and that, that helped me with things like building teams and working with manufacturers and so my experience is deep, but these days it's mostly agencies and information product marketers with a little bit of SaaS in there. I don't do startups and I don't do massive venture capital type things. And I refer people off for, for your standard sort of e-commerce propositions. So one of your concepts was own the race course. How did that program come about? Because I, I love that whole idea. What, what led you to like, you know, kind of put 
intellectual concepts together to to make a consensus. Uh, in, you know, because everyone hears that, you're like, about, I want to own the race course. <laughs> yeah, it's about no compromise. It's exactly what we we're talking about before. We don't want to build our whole business on someone else's platform or someone else's area where they can change the rules and, and swipe us down. If we were a YouTuber, that, that would be a classic risk where our whole thing is reliant upon one platform that's not ours. And if they make changes or they decide they don't like that topic, then they just turn off the channel. You could be in trouble. Same as if all your traffic comes from Facebook ads and then Facebook doesn't like your product or service. Well, they could decide that. You know, there's no law requiring them to like your thing. Like if you happen to be a, making money off the anti-vax type movement uh, and you want to run that on Facebook, well, that, that, that could be really bad luck for you because I don't think they're keen on that. So it was put into me by a mentor and it was all about no compromise. And it's, it's about putting a stake in the ground and trying to build ownership. So f- for a lot of us in the online space, it's making sure we have our own website. Like one of the simplest things you can ever do is have your own domain name that you build a website on that you can build an email list from. So put things there where you can capture an email. So it doesn't matter if you're spending 13 hours a day on Clubhouse or you are doing Facebook Lives or publishing YouTube videos or uh, putting out endless podcasts. Ideally, you want to move people onto your email list. That For me, that's one of my primary goals. And the email list is still, you know, in 2021... Uh, when we're recording this, email is still an absolutely critical, if not more critical, asset than just about anything else. And I think that that's giving you the most possible control. I was going to ask you later on about email marketing. Let's talk about it. I mean, critical. Uh, yeah, because with even these additional changes, it already was critical. But now I feel like the email list is your second most important asset to your customer list. <laughs> Customer list people pay you most important, but email list is probably the second most important thing you own as a business, particularly if you're online. Yeah, for me, um, you know, they're one and the same. <laughs> Effectively, I've got my email database is a mix of uh, customers and prospects, and I need to be able to communicate with them. It, it it still blows my mind that we can come up with a concept, write down some words, send out one or two emails, and generate an enormous amount of sales. Instantly, you know, it, it literally is the push button riches that uh, we all got seduced by when we thought about coming online. Uh, and I think this even relates to your original story around lobsters and database building. But to be able to, to have that, and, and when you think about it in real terms, you think about the number of prospects in sitting in your database. If you were to fill a stadium with that many people, that's a lot of people that you're able to reach. That's, that's the equivalent of going out to your local football stadium and hopping on the microphone in the middle of the stadium with all the floodlights on and being able to share your message with that whole audience. And, you know, some of them will be distracted. You know, your open rates aren't 100%. Some will be on their phone or chatting to someone else, but you'll still get a good chunk of that audience and you can communicate with them. And yes, you can do other things with that audience, like load them up and build custom audiences. And and there's a lot of cool things you can do with segmenting and having specific conversations with people based on behavior. But as I've discovered, and especially through using Wicked Reports, the email is 
such a powerful conversion channel for us. It's It usually ends up being at the help desk, actually. Um, if we can get in a conversation with a buyer, a prospective buyer, and solve their problem, then they become a buyer. And that is really our our game these days is to have the right person on our database and have the right communication with them at the right time. And sometimes we have to get that over the line with some extra human interaction and we're totally fine with that. Yeah. It's interesting to me how like you sh- people should just embrace when the data shows, hey, emails closing the sales. Those people, some media buyers just they don't like it. I'll be like, hey, you know how we're showing that these leads are so valuable? Well, the email's what's closing them. And people be like, well, no, Facebook says this. And I'm like, Facebook's looking back 28 days on your phone to just guess. <laughs> you know, the, the, the insanity of it is companies will spend a fortune trying to get a, a awareness with a customer and, and get, you know, steal their eyeballs on a page, whether it's Facebook or a Google display network or whatever, or make, they make, you know, they spend a fortune on producing a video or publishing a podcast. And then they get the email address of a customer and then they burn them with a no reply at broadcast. It's like they don't, it's like anti-marketing. They don't want to make the sale for whatever reason. But for us, it's, it's really the other way around. It's like, we want to be in a conversation with someone who we can help. And whatever leads to that is fine. And that's what Own the Race Course is about. I don't mind if it comes from YouTube, Facebook, Google search, a referral from Scott, doesn't matter. We get into the right conversation. We help them find the right solution. And if we're a fit, it's a business. And you can build a fantastic business off a small database if it's got really good quality communication protocols and you're always there to help someone. What? What was the most surprising insight about your marketing analytics? Was it was it the help desk? Was yeah, the help desk. The help desk. You know, I have a team in the Philippines. There's um, half a dozen of them. They all can use the help desk. Uh, most of them have been with me for eight years plus. The longest ones, eleven years, and. They used to work in call centers for American companies like uh, Dell or um, QuickBooks or GoPro, and now they work for me. So they've come from a support background. They support people. They help people. They used to do it on the phone, and now they do it via the support desk. But with time and training, and I want to emphasize that, and you talked about that before, if you train your team to help people and you give them the right words and you work with them over time to build that sales muscle, they can become a formidable sales team. And uh, we are very responsive in our support desk and they're really good at understanding the customer's question and finding the right solution. And we get quite a lot of support tickets for a pretty small business that we are. And they turn into opportunities. So yes, and of course, we're using the tracking variables that show us that that was the thing that caused the sale to happen. That may be the last attribution you might call that. But that point is very critical in our business. And I'd say for most businesses, if you've got a no reply at email address, you should remedy that immediately. If you don't have a proper support desk, if you're just trying to handle customer queries through email, then get a support functionality and put resource on it i reckon we have far more resource on our support than a lot of other businesses you know in a power to weight ratio 
I've put in support tickets with some companies and they don't even reply back within a week. You know, days is even too long. In our business, it'll be hours or you know, quite a lot of, quite a lot of time our net promoter score, the comment will be something like, wow, that really was super fast. And it's kind of cheesy. But I wanted to have Mercedes-Benz levels of support for our product because the way you support your product is a massive indicator for a potential prospect. Yeah, we we just invested 400K in customer success because it was that vital. And if you train them well and uh, they're switched on, I, I'm predicting there'll be a good return on investment for you. Yeah, yeah. well, it already is return on lifetime. I'll get to ski this week versus, you know, dealing with stuff. <laughs> Because everyone's got what they need, you know, to deal to deal with whatever comes up. So it's just thrilling. This has been a great convo. What uh, what are you up to for so for twenty twenty one? How can how can people find you and what different programs or things are you recommending people? How do they go check you out? I'd say superfastbusiness.com is a good starting point. And you know what I'll be doing this year is more of the same. Uh, Superfast business membership where, where I coach these people uh, predominantly. That has had a, a phenomenal year. I've put more energy into that. I, I switched off a different program that I had to focus more on this and to focus more on my partners. And it's it's just booming. It's like really thriving. So that's a good place to be uh, if you're the right kind of business. We have a chooser on our site that helps you choose which of our solutions is best. Of course, if you're not sure, you can always ask my support team and they'll gladly help. But I would say if you find that you're, if you don't have decision-making filters, if you're working a little bit too much or you're not sure what sort of business strategy to approach, I'd dig into Work Less, Make More. You can get the book on Amazon or Audible. I've got a little short course now, 30 days of one tip per day email series. So work less, make more in a 30-day challenge. That's probably a great starting point. That's at superfastresults.com forward slash 30. You can type in three zero or use the word. It doesn't matter. And get on that. And I'd say within 30 days from now, you will have ingested some of the, the best concepts that will, will get you thinking in a new way and hopefully see your business in a different light. That's great, James. Thanks so much for being on. Oh, absolute pleasure. And thanks for creating such an incredible tool that's made our life a lot easier. You're welcome.